0: If you are willing and able, would you please stand uh, as I read our scripture on which our sermon is based this morning. You can follow along on the screens as I read from the gospel of Mark. These words are utterly true and are given to us in love. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he saw an opportunity to betray him. Verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Verse 43, and eat immediately while he was still speaking, Jesus came one of the 12 and with him a crowd with swords and clubs. From the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I will kiss is the man Seize him and I will lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him and they laid hands on him and seized him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Well, before we get to our uh, sermon this morning, just two things. The first one in light of the every week social commentary that exists. Uh, I wanted just to put everyone ease. Um, I don't know if you've Googled or heard of whatever has been happening this week with Mr. Potato head, but I wanted, you to know, our video with O kids was filmed two weeks ago. So there was no agenda at all. With Mr. Potato Head. And and if you don't know anything about that, just let it go. But I wanted to put everybody at ease uh, if you were wondering about that. So that no connection at all. Um, The second to our sermon today, we'll be talking about Judas. And I may find Judas and Jesus are very close. And as much as I've tried to practice and go through this sermon, I may find times where Jesus is Judas and Judas is Jesus, but just have some faith on me this morning. Um, If you are new with us today, whether here or online, really great to have you with us today. I'm glad you're here. Uh, We are in a sermon series called Unrelenting Rescue, where we are journeying with Jesus uh, to the cross and these various encounters that he had with people along that journey. And uh, we we find ourselves as we journey to the cross that there will be a rescue underway by Jesus to save sinners by grace. And today we find ourselves... Leaning in and listening in to the tragic story of betrayal. Betrayal does something to all of us. We've all been there. We've all felt the sting of betrayal in our own lives. Uh, I knew someone at a previous church Uh, We were sitting um, and we were having lunch together with a few other people. Uh, She uh, was an incredibly successful lady um, in her career in our community. She was a part of several C-suite positions at various organizations, uh, really uh, profound career. And she'd also had battled aggressive cancer and had beaten it. But as we sat there over that lunch talking and, and kind of, she began to unpack that she had been going through a very difficult year. Uh, In that past year, she was in a place in her life where a previous employee had sued her and was slandering her name in public. And the person you could tell as my friend was talking about it, you could tell it was someone very close to her, someone that she had worked very closely with and was frankly shocked that she was in a lawsuit battle with them. And at one point in the conversation, I remember it so vividly. Uh, because it just hit me so hard as she she said these words, she said, give me chemo every day over having to go through this kind of betrayal. Give me chemo any day over going through this kind of betrayal. in My life betrayal does something to us. As one author said, everyone suffers at least one betrayal in their lifetime. We have all been there. We've all experienced that kind of pain. We've all felt it. Betrayal does something to us. And in our passage today, we see a case study of not only how betrayal happens to us, but if we're honest, how betrayal can happen through us. Three questions from the tragic story of Judas's life that we need to answer. First, how does betrayal happen? How does betrayal happen? Second, what do we need to hear And finally, how was it resolved? First, how does betrayal happen? What we we see in our passage for Judas, the moment of decision, the the culmination, the the final moment of decision. And this is what it says in verse 11. And Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. This may be one of the most cold and calculated verses in all of the Bible. Literally in the Greek, it's he watched. For the perfect opportunity, uh, he, he 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 intentionally watched for the perfect opportunity. It, the, you, can, you, you can feel the cold, calculating nature of his heart? The question is: How does one get to this kind of level? How does how does Judas become so cold? What is what we see in Judas's life is that betrayal doesn't just happen in massive, sweeping changes. But betrayal happens through little decisions of compromise along the way. Why did Jesus turn? Why did Judas turn? Well, some like Andrew Lloyd Webber and Steve Rice, if you've seen Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, would, would argue that uh, Jesus was just a human being who, who had let out some stories that, that ultimately got interpreted that he was God. This is, this is Judas' song from Jesus Christ Superstar, Heaven on My Minds, this is what it says. Listen, Jesus, I don't like what I see. All I ask is that you listen to me. And remember, I've been your right hand man all along. They think they found the new Messiah and they'll hurt you when they find out they're wrong. I remember when this whole thing began. No talk of God. Then we called you a man. And believe me, my admiration for you hasn't died. But every word you say today gets twisted around in some other way and they'll hurt you if they think you lied. You've lied. You've lied. Do you hear it in the lyrics? Uh, Judas is out to protect Jesus. Uh, Judas is saying, uh, people are getting the messaging all wrong. Jesus was never God. That's why he died. That's why he, it got all wrong. I tried to protect him all this time. Now, as much as you may like Jesus Christ, superstar, it is not historically accurate nor creditable. Um, why did he turn? Why did he turn? Well, some commentators believe that Judas was actually a closet zealot. if you don't know about the zealots, uh, they were one of the main sects of Judaism at the time in the first century, considered to be the most violent of sects in Judaism because they sought to want to overthrow the Roman empire. And the only way to do that, they thought, was peace through violence. And so the only way to get freedom was the overthrowing of Roman leadership But sadly, Judas became disillusioned with Jesus's lack of violence. You see, Judas thought Jesus was useful. Judas thought Jesus was useful. But whatever reasons for why he turned, what we know is betrayal comes. It comes through a collection of small compromises and decisions. We see in these verses just before this passage that we read on which our scripture was based today, our sermon was based uh, a section in Mark where there is this woman who comes with an ointment and a perfume that she lavishes on Jesus's feet. And what we find about this a perfume is that it was uh, this moment was brought with disgust by some of this, the disciples as waste. Now, when we look at John's gospel on that same story, what we find is the woman in that passage was Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, and the disgusted disciple in the passage is Judas. Judas is upset by the waste of Mary at the feet of Jesus. This ointment or perfume was extremely uh, expensive. Uh, It would be considered worth a year's uh, wages. So whatever that is for you to to factor that out, uh, extremely expensive. But Mary is overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel. She's overtaken by her savior. But Judas just sees Jesus as useful for exploitation. We read actually in John's gospel that Jesus, Judas was the treasurer out to embezzle, out to embezzle. And once he sees that Jesus is no longer useful and our passage tells us he betrayed him. Betrayal is small compromises that lead to great ones, small compromises that lead to great ones. I went to the doctor a couple months back, and in that visit, the doctor told me my blood pressure was a little high. Um, it's not to the point where anyone should be worried, the doctor said, but wanted to just highlight the significance of small decisions that I was choosing to make or not make in my own life. Uh, the doctor said, there's some things you should look at um, if you decide not to exercise, um, if you decide to eat chocolate cake or bourbon, or both every night, there will be consequences, small decisions, small choices lead to greater ones. I remember in high school, um, we had hired a a guy to come work and build my parents fence at our house. And my parents thought it would be a great thing for me and my work ethic to partner up with this guy and to build this fence with him. And it was quite the combination. This guy was old and tough. Uh, the best image I have in my mind is the Marlboro man, if you remember the Marlboro man. Uh, and then there was me and these hands, which are utterly useless. And there we were. We were teamed up together to build this fence. And we started putting the fence posts in. And this guy that I was working with was so meticulous. Every post, he's asking questions. Are the posts level? Are they straight? Are they lined up? Are they on the plumb line? And question after question. Uh, And we were getting to the second post, just getting the second post in. And he's beginning all these questions over again about all the measurements. And I can't remember exactly what I said in the moment. um, But there was this moment where he, he, he was saying that it was just a little off. It was a sliver off. The post was just a little bit off. And I'm thinking in my head, come on, man, we have a thousand of our posts that we have to put in today. We've got to move on. And I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but I remember it must have come out like any high school know-it-all moment. And I said to him, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about it being just a sliver off? And the Marlboro man uh, responded with one great life lesson that I remember to this day. He said, if we are a quarter of an inch off here, we will be four feet off down there. Small compromises lead to great ones. What's the big deal? Everything. It's everything. C.S. Lewis uh, really gets at how small compromises leads to great ones uh, in his book, The Great Divorce, where he tells this fiction story about how we find ourselves in places where the small decisions and small compromises of our life lead to great ones. This is what he says. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself if, if you wish you could stop, but there may come a day when you can no longer stop. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing, which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Lewis says, small compromises are how betrayal takes root in our lives. A Quarter inch here, a half inch there, four feet down the road. That's hell. One thing I love about the Hebrew Bible is that it talks about the importance of how we view the world and the importance of trajectory in our life. It, the, the Bible talks about in the Hebrew Bible about the importance of watching your feet. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, guard your, guard your steps. Because there was this idea of whichever way you were walking was determining whether you were moving into light or moving further into darkness. And one of the great passages that outlines this that you may know of is Psalm 1. And this is what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice the Hebrew progression. Watch your feet walks, stands, sits. Each small compromise leads to a larger one. It's easier to turn around from what you're doing when you're walking It's harder to move in a different direction when you have stopped somewhere and you're standing, but the progression goes further until we finally just sit. The Hebrew word for sit is yeshav, which means to dwell or to live in something. Uh, Actually, another translation is the consummation of marriage. The idea is that we become one with the choices of our lives, the small insignificant choices of our lives. At some point, you you may have said, I should stop doing this. I should stop doing this. I I, I should get control of my anger. I I should get off the computer. I should throw away the bottle. But at some point, we resigned. We, yeshaved, to live in the dark, walk, stand, sit. And there's probably no more painful picture in this life of betrayal than the adultery of a spouse. Some of you may know have known this pain. That's what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that the initial sin isn't the affair, but it is the sin of lust in the heart when the heart leads to all the wrong places. It's the small compromise that leads to great ones. And I don't mean to be crass in making this statement, but nobody looks over in that moment and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not my wife. It doesn't happen that way. At some point we, we, we we fall into this situation of small choices lead to great ones. And at some point, maybe you have been there and walked through that story of pain as I have with others, but that's how the story is painted by Jesus. The affair didn't just happen on a whim. It's the small compromises along the way, a quarter, an inch here, a half inch there, four feet down the road. Don't you see, that's exactly how our portrayal happens, how Judas's portrayal happens. Someone probably may be thinking in this moment, come on, Tyler, come on. How could you possibly compare me to one of the most despicable and sad stories in all of human history, the story of Judas? He was so foolish. How could you possibly compare me? I'm actually not going to compare you. But Jesus is. What do we need to hear? That's the second question. Jesus has gathered his disciples in this large upper room to celebrate the Passover. And he tells us that it tells us they were, they were reclining at table and the ancient story, how as they reclined, they would lean on their left arm and they would eat from the table with their right hand. And these ancient cultures, they would sit and they would take part in these meals together. And at some point in this dinner, uh, Jesus makes a statement to his disciples as this is what he says. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. It's interesting in this passage, others have highlighted this. If Jesus, Judas, is the only one going to betray him, if Judas is that one, why does Jesus come out and say it this way? Jesus's statements are a little cryptic, a little ambiguous. Why does Jesus do this? Why does he say it this way? Why isn't he just calling out Judas and telling him, you don't belong at this table with me. When, when Jesus says this, one of you will betray me. It's a little cryptic. It's a little ambiguous. Why does he leave that in the room that way? He, he left it there. That question to echo into the lives of all of his disciples to hear what Jesus knows is that all of his disciples will betray him in the next 24 hours. The word for betray here is the word paradidomy, which means to hand over. It's the same word used uh, by Judas when he hands over Jesus to the officials later on. The disciples around this table are just as guilty as Judas. They've given into weakness. They've given into fear. They have run like cowards. And we find in verse 50 later that all of them have left Jesus and they have fled. You see, what we need to hear from Jesus this morning is as much as we try not to see it in ourselves, we are no better than Judas. And what happens sometimes is we sadly believe things are better than reality. I heard a story about a famous preacher who's actually was part of our denomination. Um, He had just finished a sermon and uh, it was an outstanding sermon. Everyone apparently had oohed and awed through the sermon. Uh, they, They loved it. Um, and after he had finished the sermon and the services were over, uh, he was talking with his wife. He asked his wife this question. He said, Jane, how many really great preachers do you think there are in our denomination? Jane's response immediately to his question said it all one less than you're thinking one less than you're thinking. Go Jane, go Jane. We all believe things are better than they are. We all seek to separate ourselves from those people, whoever those people are, whoever the Judases are in your life. This is why we desperately need to hear the reminder from the great Russian author, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who says this, the line separating good and evil passes, not through States, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And through all human hearts, what do we need to hear? What is Jesus saying? One of you will betray me. Those words, those statements, they they echo through this very room this morning. And we must recognize that in this ambiguous encrypted phrase, we are just as guilty as Jesus. We, yes, we have handed him over. G.K. Chesterton was a British author from the 19th and 20th century. Uh, Chesterton was a Christian and he was approached uh, at one point to write an article for the London Times. Uh, The article, the paper was basically sent out and asked several prominent writers to write an essay on what is wrong with the world. What is wrong with the world? Chesterton wrote his response to what is wrong with the world in his telegram. And it simply read this. Dear sirs, I am signed G.K. Chesterton. We have all handed Jesus over. The question is, have you come to that conclusion? If you haven't, you won't be able to make sense of the portrayal of others with any form of peace. And at worst, you won't be able to make sense of the damage that you have inflicted on others because you will find inevitable guilt waiting for you around the corner. Chesterton gets to the honest question of assessment around this Passover table. What is wrong with the world? The answer, it's me, it's me. So if we have found that we, yes, we have made small compromises that have led to large ones, just like Judas, that we have all found around the table with Jesus, him asking us to answer that question. How do we know we won't have the same fate as Judas? Do you see our dilemma? These disciples should not have been allowed anywhere near the presence of Jesus's table, but they are invited to come. They shouldn't have been anywhere near the presence of this king, but they are invited. How does God solve this dilemma? How does God solve our dilemma? Well, that's our last question. And right here at this table, something happens at this table. Something happens. Jesus reveals that the Passover was only a shadow It it, it was the glimmer of light that was the open crack of the door pointing to something better. You see, right after Jesus calls out all of his disciples, he takes bread that was on the table and he says to them, this is my body. This is my body. He picks up the cup that was on the table and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. You see, the Passover was the celebration of sacrifice. Of the lamb that was slain and the blood that was put over the doorposts of the house and everyone who put the door, the blood over the doorposts of their house, it averted God's wrath. It was a way of saying, God, we confess we have handed you over that we have not loved you as we should, that we have betrayed others, that we've fallen short of your holiness. And the Passover was the great sign of the grace of God available and shown forth throughout all generations that God met his people with forgiveness when asked, but it had to be asked. You see the great David Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. God can say, let there be light, but he can't just say, let there be forgiveness. There has to be a payment for the debt. And we all know this. If we have been betrayed, if someone, someone has to absorb the offense Either we will make them absorb the debt by inflicting revenge on them for whatever wrong they've done, or we will through forgiveness, absorb that debt that they should rightfully pay. We pay the debt and God says, there must be a payment. The lamb was slain. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer said it this way. We all walk around with Jesus's nails in our pocket. This morning, where are those nails? We're all invited to see that those nails are actually in our pockets. Jesus invites us to see that the depths he will go to bring reconciliation where we've brought betrayal, that he will absorb the debt that we must rightfully pay. I love the way George Herbert put in his poem, the sacrifice. He says it this way, Judas, does thou betray me with a kiss? Canst thou find hell upon my lips and miss of life, just as the gates of life and bliss was ever grief like mine, was ever a grief like mine. Jesus tells us, I have hell upon my lips so that you can drink of the wine of life. Mark tells us later that on the cross, Jesus will be hanging there and they will offer him the sour wine. Uh, Some say that they'll, they'll hand him the sour wine of vinegar He's handed that wine of vinegar so that you and I are invited to the table to drink the true wine of the kingdom. He absorbed our debt. He covered the door of our life with his blood. This is my body. This is the blood of the new covenant. As J.R. Edwards put in his commentary on Mark, he puts it this way. It is in other words, not the worthy for whom Jesus lays down his life, but precisely for the unworthy, even cowardly and unfaithful the cowardly and unfaithful. And that is good news for me this morning. Jesus is saying to everyone here, I am the Passover. I will be sacrificed to cover you. It's not your obedience. It's my obedience. That's what will change your life. Jesus is saying, despite your small compromises, despite those moments of the quarter inch here to half inch there to four feet, wherever those places are in your life, Jesus says to you this morning, will you allow me to love you? Will you allow me to love you? Will you come and eat and drink at my table that I have prepared for you? Will you allow me to love you? Sadly, the story of Judas is not the story that we would have hoped. Uh, His story, he hung himself in regret. But author Sinclair Ferguson tells us that the story of Judas holds out for us a case study of the two options of life. Either we will be driven to despair by our regrets or we will throw ourselves in the arms of mercy to the one who invites us to the table. Will you allow me to love you this morning is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, I tasted hell upon my lips so that through my death you can come to the table. As the great hymn put it. And when I think of that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can't take it in, that on the cross, my burden he gladly bared. He bled and died to take away my sin. Once we see that God was not sparing to cover our debt, we can begin to cover the debts of others who have wronged us, of others who have betrayed us, of others who been, we've been carrying around revenge in our hearts Uh, the ones that we've been carrying around the pain in our hearts and God's grace will allow us to release them, that we can begin to forgive those people because as Solzhenitsyn says, we, yes, we are those people. We can love them because we have been wrapped in a love better than we ever dared hope by a God who would taste the sour wine on the cross so that you and I, despite our failures, despite our regrets, despite our small compromises, can come and drink of the wine that we will have for all eternity. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Friends, you are invited to the table to receive the benefits of what has been accomplished in your place. The only question that remains this morning will be if you will allow Jesus to love you. If you allow Jesus to wrap you in his arms. As Herbert says, Jesus had hell upon his lips so that you and I can eat and drink at the table life to the fullest. Will you allow him to love you? If you will, you are invited to come to his table and feast. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess We confess this morning that the line between good and evil runs right in the middle of our lives. That we have lashed out in revenge towards others or held grudges. We know we should not have held, but our greatest offense you have covered. Jesus, we thank you that this Passover was just a shadow of the greatest meal that you've invited us to partake and receive allow today for us to know and experience the beauty of this meal and the amazing love you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen.